Belly on up to the nine foot homemade oak bar. My name is Craig Toth, your host for Minor League News and Brews. Also co-host of Bucks in the Basement with my good friend Chris Lanuti that comes out every Wednesday. This one comes to your ears and sometimes your eyes. When it comes to your eyes, this one won't. It comes on Friday at 5 o'clock and then on Saturday mornings the regular audio episode of Minor League News and Brews drops. For the past two weeks, I've been doing a review with the broadcasters, first with Jack McMullen from the Indianapolis Indians, and then with John Moses from the Altoona Curve. If you haven't listened to those, please go back and listen to them. Uh, Rate, review, and subscribe helps out a lot. But this time I decided to take a little bit of a break from the reviews of the minor league system at each level and talk about something that I see that a lot of people have been either writing about, having conversations on X slash Twitter, uh, Facebook, just because it's something that kind of interests people to a degree. Um, when I first started, you know, having the podcast and then writing a little bit about the Pirates, I heard the Rule 5 draft described to me as a nothing burger uh, more than once and for the most part I kind of tend to agree with that at least to a certain degree maybe not fully because most players that are drafted in the major league phase and the minor league phase which I'll talk about the difference between those uh, in a few seconds here, but a lot of those times those people selected make minimal to no impact on the major league teams, sometimes not even the minor league teams that they're on, and a lot of times they're actually returned to the teams that they're drafted by. So I can kind of see why people are like, okay, the Rule 5 draft's coming up, what does that even really mean? You know, what does that deal with? And for the most part, like in my eyes, it's more about the players that are protected by the team, especially with the Pirates and the way that Ben Sherrington has been running things. The players that are protected are more important than maybe the players that, I mean, I don't know if it's the ones that aren't protected, but it just kind of seems like the ones that are protected are ones that you will see at least to a certain degree, or should see, um, impact the Major League Baseball team. There is, um, you know, a couple different examples of maybe where that didn't happen as much, but that could be more based on, you know, play that happened after the protection or stuff that they saw, you know, after the player was protected more than what was, you know, happening you know, prior to their protection. Uh, ben Charrington took over um, in November of 2019, right before that year's you know deadline to add players to the 40-man to protect them. Had a few fairly easy decisions there. Uh, protected Cabrian Hayes, O'Neill Cruz, and then Will Craig, Blake Cedarland, and Cody Ponce. Obviously, you know, Cabrian, O'Neill still a big part of this team, a part of the future, 
Cabrian Hayes extended. Hopefully O'Neal, when he comes back from his ankle injury, becomes a, a big part of this team moving forward. Uh, Will Craig did get his shot, is part of one of the more infamous plays within the Pirates' recent history, uh, not tagging first base, chasing the runner back, all this kind of stuff, and then eventually you know, went to play in it was Korea or Japan. Uh, Blake Cedarland, for him, it was more of injuries, derailing stuff more than anything. He gave us some good uh, videos with his case struts and, and different stuff. And then Cody Ponce definitely got like a, a decent shot uh, with the Pirates team, so you did see him play. Um, in 2020, Max Cranick was protected and Rodolfo Castro were protected. Uh, Rodolfo, you know, recently traded this past season, uh, but, you know, did get a, a nice run within the major league team, was, you know, an over-two-war player uh, last season, but just really couldn't get things going, couldn't put things back together this year, and ultimately was traded. In 2021, we saw Pagaro protected, uh, CSN, Kanan Smith and Jigba, Jack Swinski, and Travis Swaggerty. And, and Swaggerty's really the one that didn't get a lot of run uh, with the Major League Ball Club, um, but the other ones really did. Uh, this past season, it was Mike Burrows, Eddie Rodriguez, Colin Selby, Jared Triolo, um, all players that we did see or, in Mike Burrows' case, would have seen if it wasn't for the injury to Burrows. So you can kind of see that with Ben Charrington, the players that he protects, you usually will see them you know, at the major league level at some point in time. So when, you know, they make their decisions and we'll go through the players after I finally get back and talk about, you know, the, the major league phase and the minor league phase, but it kind of seems like if it's going to be a player that they're going to protect, it's going to be somebody that you, you know, are going to see chances are at some point in time, you know, walk onto the field at PNC park and participate with, you know, the major league team. Now, the Major League phase is the one where if you select a player, you have to keep them on your 26-man roster for the entire season. I mean, we do see at times uh, there may be those quote-unquote phantom injuries, see them maybe go down to the minors, do a little bit of rehab. We've talked about you know, possibly uh, in the past we talked about uh, them maybe hiding them on the roster to a degree, maybe not putting them in a lot of high leverage situa situations. I mean, if you look back and uh, go on to inside the Bucks basement, I wrote about Jose Hernandez uh, prior to this season. He was one of the players that was drafted in the minor league phase. He was the one that was drafted by the Pirates. I said that he may, you know, be a little bit different in that he will be given a little bit more opportunity and wouldn't be hidden as much because uh, in the past when players get drafted, a lot of times it's majority of the time, it seems to be that it's pitchers uh, and people, you know, that players that uh, the GMs and whoever it may be in the front office believe can be starters at some point in time. A lot of the times they are put in the bullpen for the major league team and then you know just given a few games here and there with the ultimate goal of 
you know, after you keep them for that year, then you have their rights and then they can be, you know, optioned uh, down to, to the minor leagues and you have the ability to kind of, you know, build them back up, have them become starters, uh, different stuff like that. We have seen uh, in the past couple years people leaning more towards uh, position players to a degree. Uh, this past year, uh, the Pirates lost Blake Sable. Um, it was kind of known. Uh, we had Alex Stumpf from DK Pittsburgh Sports on here uh, following the Rule 5 draft and talked to him about an article that he had written when he was out at the Arizona Fall League. And I believe he said, I'd have to go back and listen exactly, but in paraphrasing, that you know he had accepted the fact that if Sable wasn't protected, that he was probably you know, going to be lost in that Rule 5 draft. He was. He was picked by Cincinnati, then traded to San Francisco, where he spent the entire year. He was a 0.2 B-War player, a 0.7 F-War player, which for a guy who had, you know, some experience at the AAA level, but not an extensive amount, I mean, that's a above replacement level. It doesn't meet the, the requirements for what would be considered an everyday player, which would be somebody that's around like two war, uh, but did have a, a kind of an okay season. I uh, I know in the beginning it looked like he may be having a better season just because of you know some of the power he was showing there, playing some catcher, playing some outfield. Um, but in the end, you know, maybe not a, a huge loss for the Pirates organization. Still wish Blake the best, but I mean, it's, it's something that kind of happens within that. Uh, the biggest example, of course, was uh, during, I believe it was the 2020 uh, Rule 5 draft, Akil Badu selected by the Detroit Tigers from the Minnesota Twins. And a lot of people didn't know like the full story behind this is that Akil Badu uh, hadn't played since, uh, I believe it was like the beginning of 2019 or at some point during 2019 because he had had Tommy John surgery. And a lot of the reason why he was selected by the Tigers was because of reports that were coming out of their fall instructs. Uh, that season in 2022 because there wasn't a minor league season for him to play in. Um, Akil Badu, you know, comes out, becomes like an over-two-war player uh, for Detroit in 2021, and then kind of since has has fallen off, has dealt with some injuries here and there, but has become more of what Blake Sable was this past year for San Francisco, which was a below, you know, one-war player and, and has struggled mightily. Uh, the newest one that's kind of been all over Pirates Twitter recently, which would be Ryan Noda, the first baseman for the Oakland Athletics, selected in the Rule 5 draft last year, uh, played very well um, in his season. I mean, I know that there are some some faults in there. He has like around a... I think it's like a 34.5 K rate. His walk rate was up around like 15%. Got on base a decent amount. Had some power, you know, playing at first base. A huge need for the Pirates. I mean, basically, I, I'm assuming, uh, and it's a pretty good assumption, that the Pirates will go out 
and get a first baseman during this offseason. Uh, last week, uh, this past week, uh, the Kate just came out on Wednesday, talked with Jason Mackey, Pirates beat writer for the Post Gazette, and talked about him to him about the possibility of Carlos Santana coming back because that's something that's been um, out there in the news. But then there was an article written uh, concerning possibly trading uh, to the Oakland Athletics to get Ryan Noda because. You know, he only has the one year of service time, so he'd be a guy with like a decent amount of control, had like a 2.6 war uh, season, but, you know, did have some of those faults. And it's a guy with not a huge track record. I mean, he did perform well um, for the Dodgers the previous season, actually the previous two seasons. Um, in this, I think it would have been in 2022, it would have been. Uh, in AAA, you know, was he's a kind of a big power hitter type guy. I know he was even. He was zero in uh, defensive run saved at first base this last season for Oakland. But you know, kind of came onto the map, and people have talked about trading for him. I think that, I mean, if he was a guy that was in our system, it would be something that I would be excited about. Not sure how much I would give up for him. Uh, just because there is that risk. I mean, you s- uh, just mentioned Akil Badu you know, jumping onto the scene, uh, having a great you know, rookie season, and then you know, since falling off, a lot of times people talk about you know, the sophomore slump. Basically coming up as a rookie, sometimes you, the, you know, there is a lot more scouting now. There's a lot more of the metrics. There's a lot more stuff to study. You know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and teams can adjust a lot quicker. But I mean, I think a decent amount of times you could see a a rookie come up and perform very well until teams have uh, you know a lot of tape on them and you know adjusting to what would be you know I'm actually a major leaguer now not I'm fighting to be a major leaguer you know sometimes you see that sophomore slump and different stuff like that so I mean I guess it's like a good out of the box you know type thinking but I number one I don't know how realistic it is I know that you know Oakland has you know a couple prospects that you know are pushing their way onto the major league club uh, Tyler Soderstrom has he you know is a catcher plays first base, so that might you know mix into those plans a little bit. But I really couldn't see Oakland. I mean, even though they were you know, the worst team in Major League Baseball this past season, um, a guy with five years of control. I mean, even if they're not quote unquote planning on being good in the 2024 season, I mean, you could still have this guy around for 25, 26, 27. So, I mean, if they're looking to hopefully maybe turn around a little bit quicker in their eyes, then I really wouldn't see them moving on for a guy that, you know, not a huge investment in and isn't going to cost a ton of money, especially for the next two seasons. Um, so maybe a little bit out of the box thinking, number one, don't know how realistic it is and, and not sure exactly what I would get up, give up for a guy who doesn't have, you know, that much of a track record in major league baseball kind of got sidetracked there a little bit, but, uh, going back to, you know, the rule five draft, we talked about the major league phase, keeping the guy on the 26 man for the entire season. 
then there is the minor league phase. And the same with, you know, the players that are added to the 40-man to protect them from, you know, the Rule 5 draft. There is the 38-man AAA roster uh, that players can be added to that protects them from the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. So uh, you got the major league phase. Guy has to be on your major league roster. Uh, minor league phase, if a guy isn't protected, somebody can be selected in that minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft and be put anywhere within the team system. And it's not like you have to play them so much and then they get sent back. No, like once you would claim them in that minor league phase, then they would be on your team. They would be in your organization, I should say, um, until you would decide to release them or you know, maybe not put them on uh, your AAA roster the following year, and then maybe they get selected by another team. But Ben Charrington, you know, made some news this last year in 2022 uh, by leaving a lot of spaces open on that 38-man AAA roster. Um, he came out afterwards and discussed about the fact that they thought that there was a possibility that they were going to add more players to that minor league roster, signing players to minor league contracts, also making their own selections in the minor league phase because you have to have openings on that 38-man roster to be able to select players in the minor league phase, just like you have to have space on your 40-man roster to be able to select players in the major league phase. Um, so last year, they lost 11 players in the minor league phase. Uh, Jared Oliva, Yona Ferredo, uh, Emmanuel Mejia, Yoavis De Rosario, uh, Christian Charlie, Austin Roberts, Wilkin uh, Ramos, Domingo Gonzalez, Peter Solomon, Trey Magoo, and Joe Jocks. And they also claimed and selected a couple players most notably Joshua Palacios, who they selected from, you know, the Washington Nationals. So it wasn't even the Nationals didn't even add him to their major league side. They didn't even add him, you know, to that 38 man to protect him from the minor league portion. And I mean, say what you will about Joshua Palacios. Once again, go back and listen to what Jason Mackey had to say about him. I uh, I, and what the Pirates kind of think of Joshua Palacios because he was somebody that I, you know, mentioned that he might not be uh, a part of, you know, their plans for the future or may not, or could be a guy that was on the bubble for, you know, being, I guess, would be designated for assignment or something or non tendered. Uh, going into the off season, so definitely go back and listen to that. But I mean, just to know, you know, where we got Joshua Palacios from, it kind of describes a little bit of that. But as we move along here, I wanted to talk about the guys that could be added to the forty man to be protected uh, for this Rule Five draft. And there are like three names that I've seen mentioned the most. And they're the three names that I think are probably in the discussion the most. Last year, it was a little bit, little bit of a surprise that Jared Triolo was added. But I don't know if there's going to be as much of a surprise this season. Just because as 
2023 went on, there were players added to the 40-man roster during the season that would have been Rule 5 eligible and needed to be added this offseason. So the class that you know I had kind of talked about, and I know uh, that my friend Gary Morgan, uh, host of the Pirates Fan Forum with Jim Stam, also a co-editor over at Inside the Bucks Basement, and kind of talked about that each year these you know players are going to be eligible for the Rule 5 draft was going to keep increasing and increasing. Well, Ben Sherrington kind of took down you know, some of the numbers that might be there this season by adding players you know, throughout 2023. But the names that I've heard the most, and I definitely agree with those once again, is Jace Bowen, Sung Che Cheng, and Braxton Ashcraft. Now, in getting into the players and kind of working through with you and during the day today when I, I wasn't feeling so hot, I you know, kind of wrote down some of the stats. I racked my brain as to you know, who I thought would actually be added to the 40, man. And I don't know if it's even clearer. And maybe as I talk through this now, it will be become more clear to me. But uh, Chang was a guy that I thought and I saw like when he was performing at Greensboro this year, um, he slashed 308, 406, 575, nine home runs. Um, an 18.5% K rate, a 13.8% base on ball rate, a 163 WRC plus was just absolutely tearing up the Sally League. Uh, when he was promoted to Altoona, I was thinking, okay, you know, he might fall back a little bit, but is probably going to perform pretty well and would maybe be almost like the biggest slam dunk to be added to the 40 man to be protected from the rule five draft. Unfortunately for him, he slashed 251, 304, 352 with four home runs. Uh, did have only an 18.9% K rate, but saw his base on ball rate dropped to 6% and only a 80 WRC plus. So his adjustment to double A did not really go as smoothly. And whereas I saw him as a slam dunk <laughs> to be protected from the 40 man, uh, when he came up uh, to Altoona, my tune definitely changed a little bit. And so I'm kind of working through that one. Uh, Jace Bowen, you know, one of my, my favorite Miley players, Chang is as well. But, you know, Bowen who I had seen play in Bradenton in 2022. Uh, he played in between Bradenton and Greensboro. And looking at his stats from last year and looking at his stats from this year, um, added a little bit more power. I mean, some of that has to do with playing um, at Greensboro. But for the most part, was you know a fairly similar player. Um, he batted last year between Bradenton and Greensboro, batted 256 between Greensboro and like eight games at Altoona this year. He batted 255 last year on base percentage, 325 this year on base percentage, 327 last year slugging was 422 this year. It was 467. 
He had 17 home runs and 25 stolen bases last year um, for the Marauders and the Grasshoppers. This year, mostly with the Grasshoppers. Little like cup of coffee with the curb. 23 home runs, 26 stolen bases. And then when we go to like the K rates and the base on ball rates, last year a K rate of 26.7%. This year, 24.3%. Last year, 8.2%. This year, you know, 6.8%. A WRC plus in 2022 of 111. In 2023, it was 114. So, I mean, Jace Bowen has pretty much been the same player, which is a, a very good the minor league baseball player, but what's really like changing a lot of people's minds is how he's been performing in the Arizona Fall League. If you want to go back and listen, I'd have to look to see exactly what episode it is, um, but just listen to them all anyway. But I had talked about my feelings concerning the Arizona Fall League. I get excited for players that get selected to go there or chosen by you know the Pirates. But I don't really get, you know, too invested in in what the stats are. I mean, obviously, it's better to have good stats there than to have bad stats. But I, I just haven't seen enough of a pattern of players performing well in the Arizona Fall League and seeing that transition over to, you know, playing well in in the minor leagues to begin the next season or during the whole next season. I mean, for what it's worth, Jace Bowen in the Arizona Fall League, as of today, uh, Friday, 10-27, uh, hasn't played the game yet there. Uh, so you will see his stats if you look at it when uh, you listen to this on Saturday, Sunday, whenever it is. Stats may be a little bit different, but, you know, slashing 348, 408, 594 with three home runs, two stolen bases. Uh, look at that K rate again, 24.7%. It's right where it always is, and the walk rate of 7.8%. So, I mean, very small sample size, less than 100 plate appearances. So, like, Jace is, like, one of those guys. I mean, he's playing a little bit of first base out there. Is is a very athletic guy, very quick guy. I know there's a video out there of, I think he hit a triple in the Arizona Fall League, or maybe it was a double. And, I mean, how quickly he gets the first base and is rounding the corner. It, it, he's a really special athlete. Uh, but for me, I'm just like, okay, plays all the outfield positions and plays a little bit of first base. And, of course, once, you know, the same thing with the Ryan Nota thing, once you hear first base a little bit, somebody's like, oh, could he be the answer? And I just – eight games above double A. And, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, you could add him. I, I don't think it would be, you know, detrimental to add him. Uh, because, I mean, but Leover Peguero was added when he was, you know, with Altoona or going into Altoona. But he was also one of the top prospects and somebody that – you know, would have been a no doubt selection for the Rule Five draft, which I don't know if if Jace Bowen is that. So, gonna table Bowen, gonna table Chang just for a second here, so we can get to we can get to Ashcraft and then get to some beers. But you know, Braxton Ashcraft, he's a guy who had Tommy John surgery in July of 2021. Um, this past year was moved along, you know, very slowly, very careful with him. Uh, pitched a little over six innings in Bradenton, didn't give up a run, struck out like 11 dudes, walked one, did exactly what you think, you know, a player of his caliber should do at, at the, the low A level. Then he comes up to high A into Greensboro, pitches just a little bit over 26 innings, has a 376 ERA, a 1.291 whip. 
uh, 29 Ks, five walks, doesn't really put a lot of people on, you know, pitching very well, then comes up to Altoona for 20 innings. So, I mean, if you look at it in, in everything, I mean, he pitched uh, just north of, of 50 innings and, you know, it took it very easy with him, his first year back from Tommy John. But in Altoona, in 20 innings, a 1.35 ERA, a 0.950 whip. I mean, that's just phenomenal. And then, you know, 23 Ks to five walks. He's a guy that I could see taken um, just because, I mean, if he's a player that, you know, is getting stretched out to be a starter. Um, could be hidden in somebody's bullpen for the entire year. I think that I, in writing this down and talking about it now and thinking about it all day today, I mean, I would think that Braxton Ashcraft is probably the one guy that I would say is most likely to be protected and a guy that I probably would protect. Um, with Cheng and Bowen, I, I just really can't get, I wouldn't be you know disappointed if they did protect them. I wouldn't be disappointed if they wouldn't protect them because as we talked about before, there is that minor league phase and they would obviously be added to that. I just don't know if a team would be able to hold on to them for an entire season. Uh, Blake Sable was a little bit more of a sure thing, had played, you know, a lot of time at Double A had played a decent amount of time at Triple A, and could you know make that jump to the majors a little bit easier with Bowen, and then especially with Chang you know struggling at Double A. I don't know. Like I said, I I'm thinking Ashcraft, and maybe one of those two guys, and you know maybe Ben Sherrington does it again like he did with Triolo. And surprises us with someone we're not even really talking about that much. A pitcher of beer, a pitcher of beer. Let's order another pitcher of beer. That pitcher of beer should come over here. I love that pitcher of beer. Sticking with the Oktoberfest, if you listened a couple episodes ago, you know that I went out and got like... 20 different Oktoberfest beers. On this one, I am going with the theme. It is the German Oktoberfest. So these are the imports. We got the Warsteiner, the Eier, the Eggender, the Pauliner Munich. We've got the German beers. And man, did they do Oktoberfest well? Well, because they've been doing it forever. The Varsteiner coming in at 5.9% ABV. Give that one a 450, knock it down to 400. And a lot of these were very similar tasting and just very good. The Erdinger, this one coming in at 5.7%. Give that one a 450 as well, knock it down to 400. And then the Pauliner Munich, 5.8%. Give that one the 450, knock it down to 400. The Iyengar, the 5.8%, this was my favorite of the bunch. Give this one 
a 475 knock that one down to 425 that might be it for the Oktoberfest I'll have to go look in my beer fridge at some point in time here uh, but until then hopefully get back on track with the recaps going to either Greensboro or Bradenton next year hopefully my schedule works out because I said a lot of this stuff has been kind of like my fault as far as the scheduling goes uh, but definitely wanted to talk about the Rule 5 draft a little bit. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed me working my way through it, and I'll talk to you guys again next week. <laughs>